Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us for our final week of our series, Speak Out. Uh, We've been talking about the fact that God, through his Holy Spirit, gives us the strength and the power to speak out for him. Uh, In week one, we talked about the fact that we should never stop being witnesses for Christ and how uh, even in our culture where that becomes more and more unpopular, we talked about the fact that we should never stop being a witness for Jesus Christ. And in week two, we talked about leadership. We talked about uh, the story of Esther and what she teaches us about what it means to be a leader. And this week, we're going to talk about something really, really unique. Um, But before I get to that, I just want to tell you a quick story about something funny that happened to me about, I'd say, a little over 10 years ago. Um, I was a senior in high school, and I was applying to a whole bunch of different colleges, uh, sending in my application. I was trying to apply for different scholarships. And um, one of the colleges I applied to was um, kind enough to asked me to go to an event where I would meet a lot of students from the college as well as other people who were applying. And it was a really generous invitation. I had a great time. Um, And the idea was that I would go to the college and they would take take all of us on a bus uh, from campus to a nice restaurant. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a guy never says no to free food, okay, never. Um, and so I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I, I drove to the college and I saw this bus. It was like a green bus with LED lights everywhere and really comfortable seats. It was definitely a party bus. Uh, and I got on and I got a chance to meet a bunch of other students and I, I struck up a bunch of conversations and uh, it was great. We, had, it was, we were having a phenomenal time. Um, but about halfway through this bus ride from the college to the restaurant, there was this girl that just got up out of nowhere. She got up out of her seat and she said, stop the music. I have an announcement to make. Now, this was 2011. So I was, I was really grateful that she said, stop the music, because this was 2011 and everybody was listening to the song Moves Like Jagger for like the millionth and a half time. So I didn't really care what her announcement was. I was just glad that she stopped the music personally. Um, but she, she got up and she was dead serious. She got up and she, she said, I have an announcement to make. She said, I know this might be hard for all of you to hear, but Bon Jovi is dead. Bon Jovi is dead. Now, I didn't realize until right then how much my generation evidently loves Bon Jovi because when she made that announcement, that bus went quiet. I mean, super quiet. You could hear a pen drop. And there were some people legitimately, there were some people legitimately tearing up. And I saw a guy take his hat off in reverence. I mean, it went from everybody was having a great time. And all of a sudden that bus felt like a funeral procession because Bon Jovi, I mean, apparently Bon Jovi was dead. And immediately I had to figure it out. Is this true? Like, is it really true that Bon Jovi's dead? So I asked, my phone was running out of battery. So I asked the guy sitting next to me, I was like, hey, do you know if this is really true? Is Bon Jovi really dead? And he was like, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, it's all over Twitter. Everybody's posting about it. And he held up this post from this random Twitter account. And it said in all caps, Bon Jovi dead. And uh, I was, I mean, I, I, needless to say, I was not 100% convinced because you know social media is what it is. I wasn't 100% convinced, but I will confess 
that as the night went on a little bit, I became more and more convinced that this might actually be true. I started to kind of buy into it a little bit. Um, and I wasn't alone because I found out later millions and millions of people all over the world that night legitimately thought Bon Jovi was dead because some random musician from Pennsylvania thought it would be funny to start the rumor. And it took off on social media. It was one of the most famous and successful celebrity death hoaxes ever. And the bus I was on bought it. I mean, bought it hardcore. I mean, some of the students asked the driver to play, in honor of the fallen, to play the song Wanted Dead or Alive, <laughs> which was more than just a little bit ironic <laughs> because he wasn't dead. Um, and so we're all listening to this, and, and, as, and later on that night, the same girl who made the original announcement stood up again, and she said, I have another announcement to make. And this time I'm thinking, who else is dead? Every time you stand up, someone's kicked the bucket. Like what, is Bruce Springsteen dead too? And so I, I, I had to know, and she, but she said, hey, I have an announcement, everybody. Um, false alarm, Bon Jovi is alive. And I was like, well, that's good. Now we can have a good time again. Um, but almost instantly after she made that second announcement, there is this picture that Bon Jovi sent out himself to the world. And it looks something like this. Um, this was sent out all over social media. And this was around Christmas. So that's why he's got a Christmas tree in the background. And he's holding a card. And it has the date and time to prove that he's alive. Because it got that bad. It's, he has the date and time to prove that he's alive. And he has a funny message on the card. It says, heaven looks a lot like New Jersey. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I promise there's a point to this story. I promise. <laughs> uh, but, you know, <laughs> when I look back on that night, I, I think about the power of groupthink. I think about the power of groupthink. You know, groupthink happens when we start to believe things because everybody else believes them. Uh, I mean, on that bus that night, we all believed that Bon Jovi was dead. Now, we didn't believe it because we had individually thought it through and investigated it. We believed it because we thought everybody else did. And the funny part is, groupthink actually leads people to believe crazy things all the time, all the time. I mean, just, just look around at the world today. There, there are ideas that are widely accepted. And if you look at the facts, if you look at what's true, these ideas are not only wrong, they're laughable, they're absurd. And yet everybody's expected to believe them as if they're the most true thing in the world. And I think that a lot of times as Christians, we wonder, why, why does this happen? Why is groupthink so powerful? And the, the good news is the Bible actually answers that question. Because the Bible says that all of us, we are flawed, imperfect, broken human beings. And that means that the way we think is not always healthy. It's not always based on truth. And it's not always factually correct. And so when you look around at what everybody else is thinking, there's going to be times where the crowd gets it wrong. And there's going to be times where what's trending is not necessarily truthful. And, but but the, the cool thing is the way God thinks is so much higher than the way we think. That's why it says in Isaiah 55, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so it's no wonder that Isaiah wrote in a different chapter, and he said this. He said, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. The last thing I want to talk about before we wrap this series up today is this. This is what I want to say. We live in a world right now where there is a battle between groupthink and Godthink. Because, you know, what, what, what I'm trying to say is that we live in a world where there's a headbutting battle between what the crowd believes and what the crowd wants you to think and what the, crowd, uh, what, what, what the crowd is buying into and what God has to say. And we're caught in the middle of that crossfire. And so we have a choice to make. Do we, do we just go along with whatever the crowd says or what they think, or do we believe in what God says? We're caught in that crossfire. And in this series, we've been talking about what it means to speak out. And I cannot end this series. I can't wrap this up without talking about this. If you want to be someone who speaks out for God, you have to be someone who's willing to go against conventional wisdom to do it. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about groupthink versus Godthink today. And in order to illustrate this concept, I want to tell you a story from the book of Numbers. And uh, it's a story about two guys, Joshua and Caleb. And before I tell you their story, I want to give you a little bit of background. For 400 years, God's people, the Israelites, were slaves in Egypt. And uh, at first, the Israelites were treated well because Joseph was the first one to go to Israel or to go to Egypt. And he was a high up official in the government. But eventually a pharaoh came to the throne who didn't know Joseph. And all of a sudden, God's people went from being cherished in Egypt to becoming slaves. And for 400 years, they lived in slavery. But what, what I love so much is at the end of Exodus chapter 2, it says that the people of Israel, they cried out to the Lord. They cried out in their suffering. They cried out in their pain. And they said, God, help us. And I love this. At the end of Exodus 2, it says that God heard their cries. And he heard their pleas. And he heard their prayers. And so God raised up a man named Moses, who was an Egyptian prince. And the funny part is, even though he was an Egyptian prince, he wasn't really Egyptian, because he was actually a Hebrew who had been adopted by the royal family of Egypt. And God raised him up. And this is what I love so much about Moses. Moses was not a prideful person. He was not someone who was full of himself. He was someone who always thought that the job was too big for him. And the reason I know that is when God called on Moses through the burning bush, when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, God said, I want you to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses' response was, I can't do it. He said, I get tongue-tied, and I don't really know the right words to say, and I feel really inadequate. And this is just bonus material. This doesn't really have to do with the message. But I love what God says to Moses. This is so good. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? It's so beautiful, because Moses is saying, I can't speak out, God. I feel like I always have the wrong words to say. And God's like, Moses, don't you remember I made your mouth? Don't you remember that? And I can put the right words in your mouth whenever I want to because I made it. And I just think that's really cool. That's just bonus. That's just bonus material. But what happens is God raises up Moses. And so Moses and his brother Aaron go to Pharaoh and they say, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, not in your life. I'm not letting God's people go. And who is this God that you're talking about? Who, who is Pharaoh thought he was God. That's one of the problems with our culture is that our culture thinks it's God. Well, I hate to break it to him, but they're not. Pharaoh thought he was God. And so the, the, the true God sent Pharaoh 10 calling cards, 10 plagues. And God taught Pharaoh a lesson he would never forget. 
And after 10 plagues, Pharaoh suddenly had a change of heart and said, I will let God's people go. And so the, the Israelites were set free and they were able to leave Egypt. And God told Moses, I want you to be their leader. I want you to be the one that they look to when they're on this journey from Egypt to the promised land. And uh, that's a tough job when you've got a couple million people that you're responsible for. It's not an easy job. There's a lot of things. Moses had one headache after another. I have a feeling that he had an ancient version of Excedrin on his desk every day because he had a tough job. Um, but there was two guys who were always helping Moses out. They were, you know, like if you're, if you're a leader, you know there's just certain people that always have your back and you thank God for them every day. Moses had two of them. One's name was Joshua and the other's name was Caleb. And we don't know a lot about Joshua and Caleb, but we do know a few things. Um, Joshua, his original name was Hoshea. And in Hebrew, Hoshea means savior or basically superhero. So his parents didn't have high expectations for him at all to name him savior, superhero. I mean, can you imagine his first day of kindergarten? You know, they're going down the roll. The teacher's going down the roll asking for attendance. And, you know, she, she says, okay, Abram, here. Uh, Yaakov, here. Uh, uh, Ephraim, here. Hoshea, savior, uh, a, a superhero. Where is this kid? Where is this kid? And this little kid in the back just sort of nervously raises his hand. Hi, that's me. And the teacher's like, uh, well, you better get an A, kid. <laughs> I mean, he's got all these expectations. His parents named him superhero. But what I love so much is that he has a humble spirit about him. He's a hard worker and he loves God. And so he just rises through the ranks. Hoshea, everything he does, it just God is always with him. And so eventually he rises through the ranks to where he becomes Moses' second in command. And, you know, this is a beautiful story. It doesn't get talked about much, but one day, Moses called him in and said, Hoshea, I love your name. I love your name so much, superhero. That's a wonderful name, but I wanna change your name. Instead of Hoshea, I wanna I want name you Joshua, which is short for Jehovah Hoshea, which means God is my superhero. God is my savior. And, uh, and, and he was fine with that name change. And so from then on, he, instead of being called Hoshea, he was called Joshua, which means God is my savior. And uh, so that's what we know about him. And we know a little bit less about Caleb. We know a little bit less about Caleb, but in Hebrew, his name means faithful, or it can also mean brave. It's a wonderful name, Caleb. And he lived up to his name. Caleb was someone who was both faithful and brave, and he was just a good guy. Whatever, whatever Moses needed Caleb to do, he did it with all his heart. He was just a great guy. And it seems to me like Joshua and Caleb were tight. They were like this. They were brothers forever. They were blood brothers, and so... Uh, one day, Moses calls them into his office. He calls them into his tent. And he says, guys, I got a job. Boys, I got a job for you guys. So we're getting close to the promised land. We're very close. And I wanna send 12 spies to go scout out the promised land. And I want you two to be two of the 12. And uh, I, I, when I get to heaven someday, I'll ask Moses if I'm right about this. But I think that when Moses gave these guys this mission, I think Moses said, hey, I'm a point, I want you to be some of the spies because the other 10 are not that bright, okay? They're not that great. So I want you to keep an eye on those guys. I don't know if that's true. I'll admit I'm wrong someday if I get to heaven and Moses says I'm wrong. Uh, but Joshua and Caleb are among 12 spies who go into the promised land to scout it out. And they're going straight up mission impossible. They're hanging from ceilings and swinging from vines and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't know, but they're spies. And when they get to the promised land, they see 
some beautiful things. They see grapes that, they, that two guys have to carry on clusters because they're so heavy. They see a beautiful farmland. All the things that God had promised them, they saw. They saw that this was indeed a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. That's, that's the way the Bible describes it. Um, and, but, but they also come across something else. When they scout out the land, they also come across very large cities that are inhabited by very large people. And what I mean by that is they get to the city of Hebron, and when they get to the city of Hebron, they find uh, the descendants of Anak, which are very just genetically giant built people. Like if you've ever seen a picture of the Gronkowski brothers or Dwayne Johnson's family, like just imagine like a whole city of these guys, just built giant people. And 10 of the 12 spies start to get a little bit nervous. They start to get a little bit scared. And on top of that, not only do they see giants, but they see large walls, huge fortified large walls that are made of stone. They even come across this city called Jericho. And when they see those walls, I'm sure they were thinking, well, there's no way those are ever coming down. Boy, were they wrong. Um, and and they, they saw all these cities that were fortified with huge walls, which back in ancient times, it was really unique for a city to have defenses that were that strong. And they saw soldiers who were capable of doing warfare. And 10 of the 12 spies, everybody except for Joshua and Caleb starts freaking out because they're like, we can't do this. Uh, we didn't know that this land was inhabited by such terrifying people. How are we gonna do this? And, and so they start freaking out. And this is what I love about Joshua and Caleb is I, 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 when, when, when these other spies, these crazy guys start freaking out, Joshua and Caleb, they're gonna they start trying to talk sense into these guys. I don't know if they slapped them in the face. I don't know, but they were just like, snap out of it. Snap out of it. Yeah. Yeah, they have giants. So what? We have God. Yeah, they have walls made out of stone. We have the rock of ages. Oh, yeah, yeah. They have armies. So what? We have the Lord of heaven's armies. We can do this. We can take the land. What's wrong with you guys? And, but these 10 guys, 10 of the 12, they decide that they're going to just keep being morons. And so they refuse to believe that they can take the land. And Joshua and Caleb can't convince them. And so all 12 of them come back. And they give, I, I was gonna say they gave a report. They actually gave two different reports because the 10 give a bad report and the two give a good report. And it's, it's, it's crazy what happens because the 10 spies that don't have any courage, this is the report they give. They said, we entered the land you sent us to explore and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. But, there's always a but, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. So they're trying to scare the people. They're trying to scare the people, say, we can't do it. Uh, we, you know, we can't do it. We can't take the promised land. But I love Caleb. Caleb is just an awesome guy. Caleb gives the rebuttal. He gives the godly perspective. And Caleb stands up and, and says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. And so all night long, there's this headbutting battle between groupthink and Godthink. There's this headbutting battle between the 10 spies, and they're spreading a bad report among the people. And Joshua and Caleb, bless their hearts, as they say in the South, bless their hearts. They are trying so hard to convince the people that they can take the land. And so Caleb, Caleb, throughout the night, he just keeps saying, look, guys, we can do this. We can take the land. We can enter the promised land. I mean, Caleb keeps, Caleb's like, look, these giants can be beat. These, these giants are not as strong as they look. These giants are easily defeated. And these giants are not going to put up much of a fight. They're like the New York giants, guys. They're like the New York giants. 
For all the Giants fans, I'm sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. I'm a Cowboys fan, so we can grieve together about how horrible our teams have been playing lately. Uh, uh, you know, the Bible says grieve with those who grieve, so we're going to grieve together in the NFC East. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, but Caleb's like, we can beat these Giants. Don't, don't be afraid. But the people decide to listen to the 10 instead of the two. And this is what the 10 spies, the 10 spies said, they said, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't. Here's the thing. Never say we can't when God says we can't. Okay. Never say we can't. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, groupthink takes hold of millions of people. Groupthink takes hold and the crowd gets it wrong because they listen to the 10 instead of the two. And so this is what happened. It says, then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they explained. They were just whiny. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Can you believe it? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Group think, group think. They, they, they didn't really think it through because the truth was they could take the land. The truth was the promised land was wide open and available to them if they would just take it, but they, they weren't thinking. They weren't thinking. It, it, it was in one chorus, in one chorus, all of them rejected the truth because that's the way group think works. That's the way group think works. And so Joshua and Caleb, they realized they're outnumbered and outgunned but they decide to speak out. They decide that the two of them together are gonna give one last speech to try to convince the people to change their mind. And I love this speech, it's very beautiful. This is what they said. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. And for the rest of this talk, I just wanna talk about this speech that Joshua and Caleb gave. And spoiler alert, almost everybody listening to this speech rejected it. Because the crowd decided they were going to pick up rocks and try to stone Joshua and Caleb for what they said. And they weren't successful. But here's the thing. There were, there were some people who were listening. There was a young generation of people under 20 who were listening to what Joshua and Caleb said. And 40 years later, Joshua and Caleb would lead that young generation into the promised land and experience what God had planned for them. So what they had to say did accomplish something. It did accomplish something. And I just wanna talk about, these are really basic points, just like the other messages in this series. These are really basic points, but I just wanna talk about three lessons that Joshua and Caleb teach us about speaking out. And here's the first lesson they teach us. Speak hope even when the crowd speaks hopelessness. I wish I knew how to preach this. Speak hope even when the crowd speaks hopelessness. Joshua and Caleb said, we, we are dealing with a crowd that believes it's hopeless, but we understand that we have hope in God. We understand. You know, our culture has a sickness, and it's the sickness of negativity. 
It's the sickness of negativity. And I, I talk to people from a lot of different backgrounds, conservative, liberal, left-wing, right-wing, Green Party, Libertarian, Kanye Party, you name it. I talk to people from a lot of different political persuasions. And they only seem to agree on one thing today, and that is that the world is going to pieces. Now, they have different reasons for why they believe the world is going to pieces and why they believe it's hopeless. But the scary part is, no matter what the background, I start to hear the same message told different ways. Because there's a sickness in our country that's, you know, the only thing bipartisan in America right now is negativity. But there's a sickness in our country of negativity, and that's not by accident because Satan works through that. That's his way of sleep seeping into the cracks. And here's what I love about Joshua and Caleb. They said, I don't know how to preach this. They said, we don't have time for the crowd's negativity because we believe in the promises of God. We believe in the promises of God. I mean, the reason why I describe negativity as a sickness is that it behaves like a sickness. It makes us sick, it slows us down, and it is very, 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 very contagious. It's very contagious. There's only one antidote for the disease of negativity, and that is the promises of God. The promises of God. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb said, God has promised us this land. He promised us this land long ago. And because he promised us this land, we believe that he will follow through on his promise. And we don't have time for this crowd that wants to be negative about everything. But you know why? Because we have the promises of God. We have the promises of God. Here's the thing. If you only listen to one thing I say in this entire message, please listen to this. Don't let the crowd keep you from believing in the promises of God. Don't let the crowd keep you from believing in the promises of God. Do you want to know some of the things that God has promised you? Maybe you're going through a difficult season today and you want to know, what are some of the things that God has promised me? Well, let's talk about it right now. Let me tell you some of the things that God has promised you. Did you know that God has promised to supply all your needs? In Philippians 4.19, it says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Did you know that God has promised to work all things out for your good? In Romans 8.28, it says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Did you know that God has promised to stay with you and never leave you? In Joshua 1.9, it says, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Church, did you know? Did you know that God has promised to forgive you of your sins? In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you, did you know that God has promised that nothing can ever separate you from him? In Romans 8, 38 through 39, it says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And one more time, I have one more promise. Did you know that God has promised you eternal life? Did you know that? Because in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe in the promises of God? Do you believe in the promises of God? I believe, I believe. 
We need a generation of Christians like Joshua and Caleb who said, you know what? We believe that the promises of God are so much more important than the negativity of the world. Will we be that generation? I think so. I think so. And do you want to know why Joshua and Caleb believed in the promises of God? It's because they had seen the promises fulfilled. Joshua and Caleb were there when God set the Israelites free. They were there. They were in a group of people who thought they would never be free, that they would never taste freedom. They said they thought they would never taste freedom. The Bible in Exodus says that Pharaoh had made their lives bitter, that he had made their lives bitter. But Joshua and Caleb were there when God sent Pharaoh 10 messages, 10 plagues, and God's people were set free. They were there when they saw God's promise fulfilled. Joshua and Caleb were there when Pharaoh's army was chasing them, and they were getting, Pharaoh's army was chasing them in the Red Sea, and God, you remember what happened? God caused the Red Sea to come back together again and it crushed Pharaoh's army under the waves. They were there. They were there. Joshua and Caleb were there when the people said, we're going to starve here in the desert. We're going to starve here. And God made manna and quail appear out of nowhere and fed the people. They were there. They had seen, I want to preach this. I hope I can do it. They were there when God's promises have been fulfilled. So Joshua and Caleb said, God has fulfilled his promises this far. He will not stop fulfilling his promises today. He will not stop fulfilling his promises today. And, you know, maybe you're saying, Stephen, today I'm just barely hanging by my fingernails. I feel like I'm, I'm hanging on, but there's, I'm not, I feel like I'm not hanging on to anything. Can I just lift you up and encourage you today and say, God is not going to stop fulfilling his promises to you now. He is not going to stop fulfilling his promises to you now. He, as the song Amazing Grace says, he has brought you safe thus far and he will lead you home. If it, God, God has been with you every single day of your life, even if you're hanging by your fingernails, he will not stop keeping his promises now. And Joshua and Caleb said, look, God has helped us time and time and time again. And we don't have time for this negativity because we believe God will not stop fulfilling his promises now. We can take the land. We can enter the promised land. And we need a generation who believes that once more. Joshua and Caleb said, we're going to speak hope even when the crowd speaks hopelessness. We're going to speak about hope. Well, I better get moving. Here's the second thing. Speak peace even when the crowd speaks outrage. Oh boy. We understand what outrage looks like in our culture today. That's another thing that's bipartisan. Uh, (laughs) But You know, this is what I think is so interesting. The crowd was so angry at Joshua and Caleb that they were going to pick up rocks and throw rocks at them. Now, today, today, people don't throw rocks like this. They throw rocks like this. Um, But this is what I love so much. In the Bible, it actually says that Caleb tried to quiet or calm the crowd. And what I love so much about that is that Caleb was trying to bring peace to a very outrageous situation. He was trying to bring peace. That, and, and, and that's a biblical concept because remember the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. And we need that today. We need, we need more of that today because Caleb and Joshua said, we're gonna bring peace. We're gonna speak peace over a situation where there's so much outrage. And, and you, you know what the outrage culture is like. My guess is you have some friend where 
you know, you might wake up in the morning and, and they, 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 they text you and they're basically like, are you outraged yet today? And you're kind of like, eh, not really. You know, it's a pretty good day. Sun's shining. Everything's going well. And then they send you like 15 articles and they're like, well, you should be. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not knocking that because, you know, we live in that culture. It's saturated and I'm saturated. We're all saturated in the outrage culture. But here's the thing. There's a time for us to bring peace, even in a culture that only speaks outrage. Um, and, and, and let me just say this, there are certain things that should make us angry. I mean, we, we live in a culture that's taken a very dark turn lately. And so there are things that deserve our attention and there's things that deserve our action. I'm not questioning that, but what I am saying is we can't let anger dominate our lives because in James 1:20, what does it say? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And Joshua and Caleb said, we're going to keep a cool head. Even in a very, very difficult situation, we're going to keep a cool head and remember that there's something more important than outrage. And I think that's something that we need to think about more and more today. And I'm going to get to the very last point because uh, I'm running out of time. Here's the third thing that Joshua and Caleb teach us. Speak truth even when the crowd speaks untruthfulness. You know, we live in a world today where the truth is under assault. I mean... Sometimes the fact checkers need to be fact checked more than anybody. I mean, we, we live in a culture where the truth is just under assault. But here's the thing. There's going to be times where God will tap us on the shoulder to speak truth, even when the crowd speaks untruthfulness. Because what happened? Joshua and Caleb, they, they were facing a crowd that said, we, the crowd said, we believe God is wrong. We believe that, that, that God is not going to lead us to the promised land. We believe that we will be defeated. And Joshua and Caleb said, we believe that God is right. We believe that when he says we can enter that land, that he will lead us to that land. And there's going to come a time where we have to speak truth, even when the crowd speaks untruthfulness. And let's be honest. Let's unscrew the halos, as my dad always says. But let's be honest. Those are the scariest moments for Christians when, when it's time for us to speak the truth. But those are also the moments that define us. Um, I'm gonna close with a story that's pretty near and dear to my heart. Uh, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm open about this. I'm a history nerd and I read biographies and history all the time. And for some reason, I really like British history. And I don't know why, because I'm an American, you know, but I like British history. I like reading about the monarchs. There have been 58 British monarchs. A lot of them are crazy, but a few of them are really interesting to read about. And, uh, you know, Queen Elizabeth II, she's on the throne right now. She has the record for longest reign. She's, she's pretty old. Uh, she has the record for longest reign. Um, but second place belongs to Queen Victoria. And there's many, many, many stories that have been told about Victoria through the years. Uh, you could fill up books with them. Uh, but there's one story in particular that I, I love more than any other. And it's a story that doesn't get talked about very often, but it's a beautiful story. Um, in the mid-1800s, there was already a lot of pressure on pastors to sort of abandon the word of God, to sort of try to water it down and make it politically correct. And maybe you say, Stephen, I thought that was a recent thing. No, no, it, it's been around a long time. Because, um, you know, Darwin had sort of kind of started to take hold of British culture. And so a lot of pastors felt the pressure to sort of abandon the word of God and say, well, it's not really literal. And, you know, God didn't necessarily really create. And, and there was this movement of pastors that just said, you know what, forget about the Bible. We're just going to kind of preach whatever. And that's a problem because the second, the second you mess with the word of God, it's no longer the word of God anymore. It's something, but it's not the word of God. 
And unfortunately, one of these pastors who was just sort of drifting away from what was true, one of these pastors was the royal chaplain, the, the, the pastor for the royal family. And one day, Queen Victoria was listening to a sermon from her pastor, and she was just intrigued by the content. She was interested by it. And so she asked the pastor, she said, after the service, is it okay if you and I take a walk and I can ask you some questions? And he said, absolutely, absolutely, ma'am, of course, your majesty, of course. And so they were walking after the service, the queen and her pastor, and she asked him a bunch of questions about the sermon, and eventually she came to the most important question. She said, she said Reverend, is there any way that I can know for sure that I'm going to heaven, that my eternity is secured, that I know for a fact that I'm going to heaven? And because this pastor was one of those guys who just didn't really believe in the word of God anymore, he told the Queen of England, he said, well, your majesty, there's no way for us to really know. We don't really know for sure the path to salvation, and we, don't, we just don't know. Well, for any of you who follow the royals, you know that no conversation they have is, is private. I mean, there's, there's leaks all the time about what they say. And somehow, I don't know exactly how, but this conversation between Victoria and her pastor got leaked to the press. It ended up in the court press. And uh, there was a, this is, this is where the story gets really good. There was a pastor who was just kind of an everyday guy, but he was an evangelical pastor who would preach about Jesus all the time. He was reading the newspaper and he saw this conversation that had gotten leaked between the queen and her pastor. And he said, this can't be right. I mean, she asked the most basic question about the gospel and he lied to her. He told her there's no way to know if your eternity is secure. He told her there's no way to know if you're saved. And he said, that can't be. I have to write her a letter. And I wish I could have been a fly on the wall when this pastor decided to tell his wife he was writing the Queen of England a letter. Because, you know, a lot, a lot of times the wife has a lot of the common sense in the marriage and I, I bet his wife was like, honey, that is so admirable. That is wonderful. I think you should write the letter. I think you should do it. But I'm just preparing you. She's the queen of England. She might not see the letter. Somebody might open her letters for her. And you, you might not get a response. But this is what I love. When God calls on you to speak out, there's just this boldness that can come out of nowhere. And this pastor, his name is John Townsend. He said, you know what? I'm gonna write her a letter. And if she sees it, great. If she doesn't see it, I did my best. And so he wrote, he wrote her a letter to set the record straight <laughs> after what the queen's pastor had told her. And this is what I love so much. Because of history, we still have a copy of the letter that he wrote her. And I just wanna read it to you. Maybe, I'm, maybe this is because I'm a history nerd, but I just, I just wanna read it to you. I think it's really cool. This is his letter. He said, to her gracious majesty, our beloved Queen Victoria, from one of her most humble subjects, with trembling hands but heart-filled love, and because I know that we can be absolutely sure now for our eternal life in the home that Jesus went to prepare, may I ask your most gracious majesty to read the following passages of scripture. John 3.16, Romans 10, 9 through 10. These passages prove there is full assurance of salvation by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ for those who believe and accept his finished work. I sign myself, your servant for Jesus' sake, Pastor John Townsend. It's a beautiful letter. And I'm sure his friends said, uh, you know, that, that's a wonderful letter you wrote, but once again, you need, to, you need to prepare yourself for the fact that she might not write you back. I'm sure his friends are saying, that's great, that's a beautiful sermon you preached in that letter, but good luck. And, and, and everybody probably thought there was no way he was gonna get a letter back from the Queen of England. But a couple weeks later, 
he got a letter back from the Queen of England. And this is what she said. I think this is awesome. And I want to close with this. This is what Victoria said in reply. She said to John Townsend, I have carefully and prayerfully read the portions of scripture referred to. I believe in the finished work of Christ for me. And I trust by God's grace to meet you in that home of which he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Signed, Victoria. I wanna close the series with this. When God taps you on the shoulder to speak out for him, you will never know how, how many lives you've touched and how many people's lives you've changed. When you let the Holy Spirit of God enter your life and he speaks through you, you will never know the impact that you had. We weren't made to sit on the sidelines. We weren't made to shut up. We weren't made to be silent. We were made to speak out for God and that's what this series is about and I hope it's been a blessing to you. Let's pray really quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the courage and the boldness that you can give us, even in difficult moments. Father, we pray that you would help us speak hope to the crowd. Father, we pray that you would help us speak peace to the crowd. And Father, I, help, I pray you would help us speak truth to the crowd and speak it with love and kindness and grace. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for sending your son to die on a cross for us. Thank you for the fact that you can guide us even in the most difficult situations. Thank you for that. And with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, I wanna give an invitation right now because maybe you're saying, Stephen, that last story you told, it kind of resonates with me because I wanna know that I have eternal life. I wanna know that my eternity is secure. I wanna know that I'm forgiven and that, that God is in my heart. I wanna know that. I wanna invite you right now. I, 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 it, it, this, is, this is not the time to wait because we don't know how much time we have. I pray that, that, you would, that you would listen to this invitation and say, yes, I want God in my heart. Yes, I want Jesus in my heart. If you want that, I wanna pray with you. And, and these aren't magic words. These are just calling out to God saying, yes, I want you in my heart. If you wanna do that, let's pray right now. Let's not wait. Let's not wait a second longer. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I know I've done wrong things. I know that I've sinned but I believe you love me anyway. I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. And I believe that he arose from the grave. Please come into my heart, forgive me and save me. In Jesus name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we have a gift that we wanna give you. If you prayed that prayer, there's a book in here called My New Walk With God that answers a lot of questions you might have, and there's a Bible, and there's some other really cool stuff in here. If you want that, just go out to the info center right out here and say, I pray with Stephen, or the one over by the student center. Thank you so much, New Spring. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.